Did you know the best way to keep up with the National Observer is by subscribing? I'm Zara Kazema, and I want to tell you about a great deal for our new subscribers. You get unlimited access to everything we have to offer for basically a fancy cup of coffee a month. Go to nationalobserver.com slash subscribe. You can cancel at any point without charge, but we have a feeling you'll want to stick around. Last season on The Salmon People. And I took some crinoline from one of my daughter's dresses and I made a little net. And I went out to try to look around, like where else is this occurring? But once I started to look, I was like, oh, they're everywhere. These fish are just floundering around on the surface. So then I wanted to find out, okay, what are the, what are the boundaries of this outbreak? And so I began to move in a bigger and bigger circle catching fish, counting the lice on them, taking pictures. And I realized that it was throughout the archipelago. I knew that what I was seeing was the tip of the iceberg. And so when we first noticed the sea lice, I knew, I knew this was salmon farms because everywhere this industry goes, this problem occurs and no wild salmon survive the sea lice outbreaks. I was not thinking about removing the industry at the time. I was thinking about moving it over, to get it off of the major migration route where the juvenile salmon were the smallest. That was the beginning of more than 20 years of fighting the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, trying to get the department to acknowledge the damage being done to the juvenile salmon from sea lice and diseases picked up as they swam past fish farms on their way to the ocean. Alex took a lot of flack from industry and DFO, but she just kept doing the science and gathered an army of people to help in the fight for wild salmon. Welcome to The Salmon People. I'm Sandra Bartlett. Last year, in 2022, I released this podcast with Canada's National Observer, 10 episodes following the 20-year fight to save the Pacific wild salmon. When season one ended, Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray had given fish farms a two-year window to grow their hatchery fish to market size. Basically what that says is grow your fish and get out. The Discovery Islands farms were the exception. Minister Murray still had to complete the process started by her predecessor, Bernadette Jordan, and before making her decision, there would be six months of consultation with First Nations, industry, scientists, and all interested parties. They had to allow for consultations. We know that because of the previous decision by the previous minister. You know, it went to court and the, the salmon farming industry won. But there were missteps right away. Stan Probosh, a senior scientist with Watershed Watch, chairs a conservation working group which includes a half-dozen environmental organizations. In the first meeting, they had a lot of questions about how the consultations would work. For example, they asked questions about DFO's online survey. Uh, they didn't tell us a lot about it. We, we just had a, like some feedback around it because when you read the survey, there's no mention of any sort of timeline, like the 2025 timeline of transitioning farms and there was also no discussion around the removal of farms. Environmentalist Dan Lewis was also at the meeting. He says there was no direct question, 
do you want fish farms out of BC waters? So they're asking questions like, do you support increased monitoring of wild salmon around the fish farms? You know, I, I would think the average person would say, well, yeah, of course we want to monitor wild salmon. They really finally admitted that open net pens will be part of the mix for the foreseeable future here in, in British Columbia. And that this transition is not to land-based salmon farming necessarily, rather just to alternative forms of in-water fish farms. The six months of consultation put the decision deadline at the end of January 2023. Everyone knew 2023 would be a key year in the fight to remove fish farms. But they couldn't know just how crazy it would get. And so I had to come back. Last year, I looked at the fish farms on the east side of Vancouver Island in the Broughton Archipelago and the Discovery Islands, where 30 farms have been ordered to close. It's not the same at all in Clackwork Sound on the west side of the island. No fish farms have been ordered to close. Some are empty only because Cermak has followed them, or maybe in one case given up the fight with the sea lions. And in the active farms, the sea lice are winning. Welcome to Season 2. This episode is CSI Tofino. I'm in Tofino on the west side of Vancouver Island with Dan Lewis of Clackwork Action. It's a conservation group created by Dan and his partner, Bonnie Glambeck. They keep an eye on the fish farms. We call it Clackwork Salmon Investigation, or CSI. And so, you know, part of our mandate is to expose the dirty secrets of fish farming uh, by educating people about the impacts of fish farming. So if we see uh, sea lions trapped in a fish farm, we're going to want to get some images of that and put that on social media so people know. If the incident that we observe is uh, serious enough that we would do a media release and try to get a, a story on it. Every week, Dan or Bonnie tours the fish farms. Today, I'm going along. It's a sunny day, the water is calm, and there are no other boats as we move between the islands headed for Miller Channel. This is the unceded territory of three First Nations, Hesquiat, Ahauset, and Tilokwet. There are only fish farms in Tilokwet and Ahauset territory. That's where our driver, Skookum John, is from. That's Ahauset right there. There's a protected harbor inside. There's about a thousand people that live on the reserve there recently paving the roads and cell tower. Clankwick Action operates with volunteers. Skookum provides his boat at cost so he can see for himself what's happening on the fish farms. His nation recently renewed an agreement with Cermak. The company pays a house for operating a farm in their territory. There are 14 scattered throughout the channels. And there is the promise of jobs. They're worried about a handful of jobs with this company, saying we're taking food off their table. We might be doing that, but they're taking food off the next seven generations' table. The community is divided about the fish farms, but Skookum says they don't know much about them. Skookum tells his community what he sees on the farms in an effort to get the agreement cancelled. 
Dan and Bonnie, they educate me every time I'm with them. And I can never stress it out enough. It's the way they, the way they talk to me. If they can break it down where I can understand it, and then I can come to a house and bring it to them where they can understand it. It will take almost an hour to get to Miller Channel and the two fish farms we're heading to see. Dan is at the back checking his camera. I'm up front with Skookum. He tells me about himself as he guides the Sweet Marie between the islands. My name is Skookum, which was my great-grandfather's name. After a year of sobriety, my family gifted me the name and... Skookum got sober after realizing he couldn't drink enough to make the memories of residential school go away. We got brought to Tofino Residential School where um, a place called Tinwis Best Western is currently now. But there used to be about 600 students that went there. Uh, with, you know, no holidays, no, no mommy and no daddy. And in that five years, I never got to see my brother once. Can you tell me anything about what a typical day was for you at the school? Uh, thinking about food, thinking about water, um, pretty much, because we were never given that kind of stuff. Eh? If we got um, food in the residential, in the school there, We'd get a bowl of oatmeal first thing in the morning, and we'd be picking maggots out of it. And if we were caught, we were, they'd put it in their hand and shoved it in their mouth and made us eat it. And on special occasions, we'd get uh, dried cornflakes, no milk, no sugar, no nothing, no water. Uh, and in the cornflakes would be um, little cockroaches. And then, off to school we went. At night, they stole food for the children who'd been punished. Me and my best friend in there, his name's Jack, we'd wait for the nuns or the priests and the supervisors to all go to sleep. And we'd go and walk into the walk-in freezers, steal all the fruit we can and vegetables, and we'd hand it out to the children that never got to have dinner or lunch that, that day. You know, what they call being a Robin Hood, so. He was taken to the residential school when he was five years old. He was allowed to leave at age 12. After high school, he became a logger, first working as the gopher, delivering the water cans and lunch. But he watched and learned, working his way up. Soon, one of the best loggers. I cut. Ten trees, the tenth one, I, I fell in. I did the terminal falling, one after the other, boom, boom. He said, I've never ever seen a kid do that before. He goes, who taught you that? I said, I watched your workers. I logged for 20 plus years. I retired in 2014. I bought my own boat outright because I knew logging was going, going downhill. Now he runs a taxi service. It's easier on his body and he makes a better living. And he has time to take Dan Lewis and Clackwork Action out to the fish farms. Raised in Toronto, Ontario, and like so many people, moved out west to find, seek adventure. 
uh, I found that adventure in the form of kayaking, and kayaking brought me to Tofino. We ran a kayak company through the early part of this millennium. Then, at that time, we were reading all the stories about sea lice and all the work that Alexander Morton was doing, and we felt, you know, we're, we're not in the right place here. We're, we're not doing the right thing with our lives. And so we walked away from that company and we founded Clackwood Action. With Clackwood Action, we decided to focus on threats to wild salmon. But 2018 brought a disaster they hadn't foreseen. Mac Bartlett, a biologist at the Cedar Coast Field Station, was one of the first to discover it. Almost by accident, stumbled upon in the early spring and, and just noticed that there was a bunch of chum salmon just like dimpling in the bay in front of the field station. So I was excited to see them and then just got closer down to the waterline and I could actually see that there was large adult sea lice hanging out on these tiny little fry. Mac Bartlett, no relation to me, is stationed in Tofino. He monitors the fisheries in the area. Kind of had a little, I think, heart drop moment at that point because I kind of knew what was happening and also what would be next and that it would be a bit of an uphill battle just taking on something that can be seen as quite controversial within a community. So we found an old net that was here and uh, used the field station boat and a couple of our volunteers at the station and my partner, Julia, and we just started doing juvenile salmon monitoring right there. The juvenile salmon were covered with sea lice. Just a refresher, juvenile salmon are called smokes and they're less than two inches long. Sea lice are about the size of a mosquito. They look like a cross between a bed bug and a jellyfish. Or to put it simply, they look gross. They've been called vampires because they attach to the fish, suck their blood, and then lay eggs. The smolts are so tiny, the sea lice often eat right through them. When they take over a waterway, there can be 15 or 20 or more sea lice on a single smolt. Mac was new to Tofino, and soon after, he went to his first salmon round table. A multi-stakeholder group that meets out here in Clackwood Sound. Anyone that has anything to do with salmon, and that so that can be folks that do, or NGOs that are doing restoration work, or it's uh, salmon farm companies themselves, or it's representatives and community members from the local nations here, and Department of Fisheries, and all kind of come together to discuss anything that is happening to do with salmon. And kind of nonchalantly, it was mentioned by Sir Mac when they were giving their kind of roundtable update that... Uh, they had slice resistance and it wasn't working here and so they're trying to figure something else out to control sea lice. And I was just at the table as, as a newbie, so I wasn't even supposed to be there. It hadn't been voted on whether I was allowed to actually take part, so I was an observer. Wasn't supposed to ask questions or anything, but I just had to stop and say, basically, are you kidding? Slice is a pesticide used by fish farms to get rid of the sea lice on their fish in the farms. Of course, reducing sea lice in the farms benefits the wild salmon swimming by. But now, slice had stopped working, and that could be the reason every juvenile salmon was covered with sea lice. Are you kidding? This is kind of the first reported case of sea lice resistance to slice in BC. It's happened everywhere else in the world where there is salmon farming, and so this is big news. It's not just a 30-second update. This is something that everyone should be aware of and will have major implications to both salmon farming and wild salmon in Clackwood Sound. Under the terms of their license, fish farm companies are supposed to keep sea lice under control. No more than three sea lice per fish inside the farm. 
But just think about it. A farm of half a million fish with three sea lice each is a million and a half sea lice looking for fresh blood. But there was no sign that Cermak was called on the carpet by DFO or fined for being over the limit. Mac and his team spent the rest of the season counting sea lice on the wild salmon. We've had some up to, I want to say, like over 40 lice on a single fish. And it's just, it's shocking and heartbreaking. You'll often see the fish just, again, close to 100% of the fish with sea lice on them. And uh, almost every fish you look at, you just say, this whole school is going to die. And they've been monitoring every year since. And every year is the same. The result has been every year finding relatively high amounts of sea lice. Dan Lewis also started monitoring the sea lice and other diseases coming from fish farms. And in 2019, Clackwick Action published a report called Going Viral. And basically, we got a little bit of funding. It, it only cost, I think, $30,000. And we went out to uh, every single salmon farm in Clackwood Sound that had fish in it and sampled basically stuff that floats out of the fish farm. They found the disease PRV and lots of sea lice. PRV is piscine reovirus. It's a highly contagious disease linked to heart disease in salmon. Research has suggested that wild salmon weakened by PRV have a hard time swimming upstream to spawn. Remember, no spawning, no next generation of salmon. They were exactly the same problems as the farms on the other side of Vancouver Island in the Discovery Islands and the Broughton Archipelago. And industry reacted in a similar fashion. Oh, they denied everything. They, they, they just clarified what they meant by endemic and kept saying it's harmless and it's endemic. Then one evening in 2019, Dan stumbled onto something that industry couldn't hide. It was November of 2019 and Dan was leaving a party. We had an event here at our office in Tofino in November and around 9.30 at night we were heading home and we drove by the fish plant and there were seven more trucks on the site we began to smell the stench and we began to see the scum on the water, just this slick of fat and scuzz and scales and just bits of decomposing salmon from like a kilometer away. And when we got there, it was just chaos. There was, they bring out trucks, so semi-trailers on a barge to carry away the dead fish. It, the dead fish are called morts, like the French word mort, dead. Um, and so they have these mort trailers and the workers were just highballing, hucking dead fish one after the other and filling up these trailers. I've never seen anything like that. I've seen two at a time, but there were seven at once, three coming in, three going out right then and there at, at 9.30 at night in the dark in a big storm. So we knew something was going on and that's why we headed out the next day and that's when we found that slick and got in closer and found that this farm was having a major die-off. And the company said, oh no, it's, it's not too bad. And we said, you know, looking at the numbers of more trucks we're watching going by, we would estimate a couple hundred thousand fish have died. And indeed, at the end of the day, the company admitted that they'd lost 205,000 fish in that die-off. Although the fish farms sit on the wild salmon highway, most people who live along the coast, on the islands like Flores and Varga, 
aren't close enough to the farms to see what's going on. But news of more than 200,000 fish dying in a matter of days, possibly hours, had people asking questions and raising an alarm. So you have these beautiful, pristine waters, and there's just a bunch of cages floating. You can't even see the fish, and it doesn't look too bad. It's not till you start getting onto the farms and looking in, putting GoPros in, that you start to see all the open sores, the misformed fish, the uh, open lesions, and just all the, all the uh, symptoms of the diseases that they have. Dan's team became fish farm detectives, and hence the name CSI, Clackwork Sound Investigates. And so typically what we do, we look for where are the hydrolyzer vessels operating? Are there any other vessels in the area like the Orca Chief? Maybe it's moving fish or bringing smolts in. If there is harvesting going on, we would want to try to visit that site. So we just know that whenever they're doing anything out of the ordinary, there's, there's likely to be problems. And every kernel of information goes into the notebook. We have a data form that we've developed uh, working with Alexander Morton. So we collect data every time, just basic parameters like how many pens are in the water, how many pens are active, is there a die-off happening, can we smell anything unusual, is there uh, different species around outside of the pens. The view is spectacular. A forest of trees coming down the mountain to meet the water. For Skookum, these channels and islands are his neighborhood. All of a sudden, Skookum cuts the motor. We bob on the water, coasting slowly on the boat's momentum. There are no buildings or anything else that might suggest why he's stopped. We're alone. One of my favorite spots in the world. Skookum has stomped the boat in Miller Channel to show me where eight years ago he occupied Sir Mac's equipment to prevent the fish farm Yoxwees from setting up. We're leaving this spot tied up to a cage, fish farm cage, 2015, for 13 days. And was anybody on the farm at all? They just had the cages and they were dropping anchors, getting new stuff and getting the ropes ready, anchors ready and dropping anchors. And of the dozen First Nations I've spoken to, people tell me they've put up with farms in their territory because they had no choice, even though they believe diseases coming out of the farms were killing the wild salmon. When Skookum heard that a new farm was setting up, he'd had enough. My wife woke me up 2000, 2015, um, being sober and bored. She woke me up and she said, they're putting a fish farm in your territory across from the Atlea River as a, over my dead body. I put my boat right next to the barge. I didn't touch it or anything else. And he started filming. Hey, what's going on? We're so sorry. We respectfully ask you guys to leave. You guys aren't welcome here. And I tied up to the cage that the fish farm cage and I said I'm not going anywhere so I don't work for you guys I have no safety equipment no nothing so so they stopped work then I called out uh, a house at warriors a house at warriors come in and stood with me for a couple hours you know it felt good 
a house that was standing behind me. But the warrior support didn't last long. Then uh, a house at hereditary chief, chief and council, RCMP, they all come out, standing with the chiefs and the <laughs> chiefs said, any of you guys work for a house it? Live in the house it? Off the cage now. Or you'll be arrested and escorted out of our territory. So, right there, I lost all my warriors. I was the only one standing on the cage. Are you going to risk your band number, your house, your whatever they threatened me with? It? I said, all those don't mean nothing to me. I said, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the salmon. I'm doing it for my children, next seven generations. I don't want my children to be fighting for food the way we have to, to this day, you know, trying to save wild salmon. The first night, alone on his boat, 20 nautical miles from Tofino, Skookum became determined to stay and prevent Sir Mac from stalking the farm with fish. The next day, he was surprised when boatloads of people arrived for a supportive rally. You know, they were all, we're, we're non-natives and stuff like, yeah, but you're here and now you're warriors. So he settled in, not knowing how long he'd have to stay or how he was going to pull it off. And just like he used to do for other kids at residential school, at night, people started showing up with food. No one in the house wanted to help or didn't want to be acknowledged that they were helping because come nighttime, people would, uh, when I'd go in, people would bring me pots of soup and say, don't tell anybody that I'm doing this. Or they'd bring me fruits and vegetables. You didn't get it from me. Okay. What I did in residential come full circle. People brought me food, you know, and that was, that was amazing. Then in a surprise to everyone, Sir Mac dismantled and hauled the fish farm equipment away. Took all day to actually come in and take out the anchors, right? On the 14th day, oh, we were doing circles in our boats and everything. We're yahooing. And, you know, we had, we had others coming up to us and saying, how did you guys do it in 14 days where we've been doing it for almost 30 years? Skookum filmed that, too. Handful of warriors standing up to a huge corporation, Cermak from Norway. They come in dropping their anchors. I come in with my little speedboat, the Sweet Marie, and told them they were trespassing. Skookum says he remembers every time he goes past this site that a fish farm was forced out and that it started something bigger. To think getting one little farm out of our territory was a ripple effect that happened on that side and look at where they are because their chiefs are saying no more. By the other side, he means the other side of Vancouver Island. Skookum's occupation happened in 2015. In 2017, he helped First Nations occupy the Swanson Island fish farm in the Broughton Archipelago, between Vancouver Island and the mainland. The farm was owned by the Norwegian company Maui. It was called Marine Harvest back then. That was amazing. Uh, met new warriors on that side. The greatest chiefs I ever met, greatest warriors I ever met, uh, besides the ones that were at the Oxways. Like, wow, oh, the power and I used to, uh, when I, when we did it over here uh, with the warriors, 
was like, if a handful of warriors can do this here in Ahaz territory, imagine what a nation can do. Then when I got invited over there, I said the same thing, but I added on, imagine if all nations come together and that this, how powerful we'd be. Now he wants that repeated all over Clackwork Sound with the help of Federal Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray. The minister will make a decision on the future of fish farms in this area at the end of June. Miller Channel is a narrow strip off the main salmon highway, where their Norwegian-based company Cermak has two farms right next to each other. We're moving into the bay and I can see the nets below the walkways. As we get closer, we can hear the generators. This is the semi-closed system now, you can see it's quite small. It's like a big, well, sort of like a big swimming pool. A semi-closed system means the pens are in a bag instead of a net. So the fish are raised inside the bag. There's also a big barge parked alongside the semi-closed farm. So this is the Orca Chief here. Uh, it's a well boat and I don't know why they're here today. We're gonna have to see what's going on. The semi-closed design is one that industry has been promoting as an alternative option to getting out of the water altogether. Industry says a semi-closed farm is not really in the water because the fish are in that swimming pool bag. They claim the swimming pool design keeps out sea lice because the water pumped into the farm comes from a depth far below where the sea lice hang out. We can see that the fish are being sucked out of the pan into the barge, but for what purpose isn't clear. Dan says they often have to play detective to understand what they're seeing on these farm visits. All these bubbles and all the scum means it's just coming off of the fish. You know, fish have a very mucousy outer edge, outer, outer coating, and that all gets disrupted by these boats. Sometimes we can see scales and bits of tissue, and there's a lot of jellyfish. There's another problem with the semi-closed system. The farm fish are protected from the ocean environment, but the ocean is still at risk from the farms. Like you're still gonna have all the problems with viruses, the sewage, all of the discharge from the farm. They're not containing any of that. None of the pollution that comes out of the farm is contained. Dan and Skookum still can't be sure what they're doing. So we idle over to the open net farm. As we drive around it, we can see enormous sea lions sunning themselves on the buoys that surround the farm, probably keeping a lookout for escaped salmon. Okay, so that was Miller Channel. Now we'll head on down to, uh, through Ross Pass and go over to the Body Bay farm. Just as we arrive at the next farm, Skookum hears a conversation on the boat's radio. Yeah, I've been taking uh, samples all morning. Um, I just take one like uh, an hour ago. Uh, and it's all good to go. Okay, good, good. Yeah, they're there. They're gonna, Dan, that fish is coming over here. So now we know we'd been watching fish from the semi-closed farm being loaded into the barge to transfer here to an open pen farm. Why would they do that? One of the problems with semi-closed systems is you cannot raise fish to market size. It's never been done anywhere in the world because the fish get too big and then their their oxygen requirements, I, I think that would be the problem. 
And in a few more minutes, it's docking alongside the fish farm walkway. Now the question becomes, why are the fish being transferred? Are they too big for the semi-closed pens? Or is something else going on? This farm's been rebooted. It's ready to have fish put in it. Were they planning on bringing the fish from Miller? Or is it because of the jellyfish? Yeah, or are they having a problem with the semi-closed? Because they're checking the oxygen in the water here. Uh Uh-huh. And they're already bubbling it. Bubblers are going. That's what they were talking about. Yep. Air quality. Yeah, they probably... They probably don't have the, the quality growing they need for the conditions they need to grow these fish. We watch the activity for a few minutes, but transferring the fish from the barge to the fish farm is a slow process, and we decide to move on. Yeah, so we're just coming in now to the Bodden Bay uh, fish farm. This is one of uh, Surmac's new mega farms. It's 50% bigger than it used to be. In August of 2022, Cermak asked for and received permission from Fisheries and Oceans to expand three fish farms in Clackwick Sound. One of them is this one, Bodden. And this is the farm that last year, the first week of March, they counted 14 lice per fish at Bodden. That was a DFO veterinarian. And she said this looks like a violation of the conditions of license. Through doing ATIPS, we've been able to figure out that They said the farm was in compliance by changing the regulations to say if there's a hazardous algae bloom, you don't have to count for lice. And then they applied those regulations retroactively, thus making the farm in compliance, thus allowing them to expand it. Bodden and Miller, the farm we just came from, and another called Dixon. There were three applications to increase production, two of them They want to increase the production by 50% on the farm. And one of them, they want to increase it by 25%. So doing the math, a farm usually has at least half a million fish. So likely 700,000 additional fish being raised in these farms. More fish means more sea lice. So in the midst of no new licenses and the possibility of closures, one company is allowed to expand. But the minister didn't see it that way. When asked about the changes in the House of Commons, Joyce Murray described it as an accounting issue. The Honourable Minister of Fisheries and Oceans. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. I would like to confirm that the member is not correct in saying that there's been an increase in the uh, Clackwood Sound area. It has been a shifting from one to another area, but not an increase. Thank you. The decision to expand the farms made many people nervous. Clackwork hasn't had the benefit of celebrities, the Sea Shepherd Society, or First Nations climbing onto fish farms and putting GoPros below the surface. And they're in a part of BC with fewer towns and smaller populations. They feel their concerns about fish farms have been ignored by the federal government. Was the expansion foreshadowing that maybe Minister Murray would go against the mandate she'd received from the Prime Minister to close the farms by 2025? Would she allow some farms to stay, like the ones in Clackwork Sound? Next time on The Salmon People. The lack of honesty 
within that department has become so pervasive, I'm not sure they really even understand that the lights are on. The Salmon People podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, Sandra Bartlett. It's a co-production with Canada's National Observer. Story editing by my Frozen Headphones production. And once again, help other people find us by going to the Apple podcast site and giving us a five-star rating. And hey, maybe even leave a comment. <laughs>